Welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio 92.7 FM, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario. My name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this live broadcast, uh, Pints and Politics is a few other things. We're live streamed on the Trent Radio website at the MP3 streams link. We're also a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. Or just Google Pints and Politics Peterborough. And every Thursday, an intrepid group of uh, local pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Aylmer and Hunter, to talk about politics. Good listening skills are not required, but good ranting skills are an absolute must. Uh, we have a guest in the studio uh, today, and that's Kim Zippel. Kim is running for a seat on City Council in Autonomy Ward. This is Kim's second time running for office. Hello, Kim. Hello, Bill, and thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to be here today. Oh, not at all. Listen, um, this first question is one that I ask all the candidates, and it's got to do with why are you doing this? Why have you decided to run? Because we're on Trent Radio, Bill, I think I'm going to Trent Trent University. I went back to school as a mature student, and I was able to take science-based courses, but along the way I became interested in policy. A particular third-year course introduced me to some policy that encouraged me to get down to City Hall, sit in the gallery, and hear how we were doing policy, enacting policy in our community. And there seemed to be a gap between the academics and what was actually happening in the community. I'm a big fan, from my background, of fact-based decision-making, and I really like decision making to be informed by community experience and fact and that's one of the things that drove me to get more involved and eventually run in 2014. Great could you uh, elaborate a bit on, on your background what have you done in the past before getting and before your current role running for office? So I was employed by Ontario Power Generation as a nuclear electrical operator and over the course of my career, I continued to do advanced learning until I became licensed in the control room. So a control room operator, CRO was the acronym, and I retired in that position. So does that mean you're, you're an engineer by training? No, actually it doesn't. It was in-house industry-based training. Okay. So the exams were audited by an independent body, uh, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. At the time, it was the Atomic Energy Board. And so we did in-house training in chemistry, physics, uh, materials, um, everything you need to know to take the process uh, through um, from uranium to electricity. Great. Now, you and I share the uh, uh, a line in our CVs that we both ran in the 2014 campaign. And uh, I've got to ask you this. Why have you decided to run again? Again, and what have you, I guess more importantly, because I reflect on what would I do differently, what, what are you taking away from 2014 that you're applying now in, in this 2018 election? I'm running again because I feel like we're stuck. We're stuck in this city. We're stuck at council. We're not moving forward. We seem to be a council in waiting, a city in waiting, waiting for the 407 to open, possibly waiting for... Ontario to choose a different government. I don't think we have the luxury of waiting. We need to be setting goals and visions as a community so that we can move towards those targets. We need to craft relationships with whatever government is in power because we don't get to choose that. The electorate decides who's going to govern our province and then as a municipality we need to learn to build relationships with that government so we can move forward together. 
Sure. Now, what issues do you think will emerge during the campaign? And uh, you can frame this however you wish. Uh, be be the if these issues emerge during all candidates' meetings or you hear them at the door. What do you think is going to come up over the next uh, three four months? I still believe that control of our public resources is a big issue in the community. I think trust has been lost with the sale of PDI. There was such a strong sense of ownership with that particular company. And despite the numbers, the way it was done seemed to exclude the community from the process. And when resources, be it water, electricity, public parks, are in the ownership of the community, the community feels they have a stake and they have to be heard. And if there's a reason they don't want to sell, change, develop something, they should be part of the process. Oh, fair enough. Now, this, there's a number of uh, large issues uh, that are still on the current council's table and will no doubt be there uh, after the election, uh, October 22nd. I, I'm thinking about the issues like the Parkway, you've mentioned PDI, Harper Park, the official plan review and so on. Where do you stand on these? That's a long list, Bill. Yeah, well, <laughs> Wait, what was number one? <laughs> well, you can trim it down however you wish. I mean, uh, uh, cherry pick what, what you uh, wish to respond to, but um, maybe some of these issues will come up at the doors. For example, the Parkway, uh, you've done a lot of work on the Harper Park issue, the official plan review, of course, PDI you've just spoken to. How will you play these? I think that the growth that we're expecting to happen in this community and I'm not talking about a boomer bust type of growth, but a slow, steady growth as the 407 opens. It encompasses so much of what we're talking about right now. Under the umbrella of growth, we have infrastructure, we have transportation, we have the opportunity for jobs, we have housing issues. All of these need to be crafted with the growth that we're going to expect when that 407 corridor is open because we don't exactly know who's going to come here, how it will impact the people who live here. And we've talked a lot about building subdivisions and houses for people who will come, but what have we done about our infrastructure? And that's going to lead me into one of my primary concerns, which has been stormwater management in this community. And it's not a very sexy topic and maybe something not a lot of people relate to, but it, if we go back to our flooding issues of 2002 and 2004, one of the reasons we flood so quickly, we're on the Otonby River. A lot of our area is floodplain. And we also have a really interesting topography, which is where our geography is in the city. So we are the Seven Hills, means we're swales, which are valleys, and we're drumlins, which are hills. And that means water drains into those swales. And if we're paving over everything, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to lose my voice here. If we're paving over everything, that means any water that falls on this city, that falls on pavement, is rapidly conveyed. And that means flooding. So we need to look at smarter technology, new technology, get away from paving everything over. Think about building up instead of these types of parking lots and, and roadways and stormwater ponds that we're currently using. We've also fallen badly behind on our maintenance of stormwater ponds. Mm -hmm. So from a broader perspective, we aren't providing the type of water quality to the Otonabee River, those downstream, and the Great Lakes Basin. 
we aren't being good citizens mm. in that respect. So these are some of the issues. And transportation, of course, dovetails right in there. And honestly, I look at the city with the background that I have coming from a nuclear industry. When you produce nuclear power, it's a complicated integrated system which means you have all kinds of widgets and gadgets and machines that go together to transfer energy until we get those electrons coming out the wire. In the natural world, we have natural systems as well that are integrated systems. So every piece is important. Cities are the same thing. We're an integrated system. Everything dovetails together. How we do stormwater management, how we treat our water, how we keep our green spaces, how we build our housing, how yeah. our note our nodes for transportation are placed, how we become a walkable transit-based community. All of this is integrated so that our citizens, as part of this system, have a happy, safe, healthy place to live, grow, and work. Now, Kim, thank you for that. Are you involved in the official plan review process? I am. I, well, it's been a very long process, so this swings back to that stuck issue. So before I ran in 2014, I was involved in the plan of Peterborough process, which is our first attempt at an update. So there was quite an involved community engagement with specific demographics in the city, and, and I did participate in that process. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't translate into updating our official plan. So once again, we're putting an effort into updating our official plan, which is such a critical document. And for citizens who don't know what an official plan is, it's basically the blueprint for everything we're going to do in the city for the next 10, 20, 30, even 40 years. Because of the rate we're updating it, it probably will be another 30 or 40 years before we have an opportunity to do a comprehensive review, again, of the vision for Peterborough. Yes, I, th I thought it was significant when it came up in a, in a council meeting uh, not so many months ago that uh, oh, one of the sitting councillors was not born <laughs> when this official plan was reviewed the last time, of course, Dianterian. Um, so it's been a while. Uh, I certainly get that. You, you, you mentioned so much there uh, about the official plan and the, the evolution of uh, a sense of community responsibility for what's going on. How do you think the city needs to work with the public going forward? In other words, the civic engagement on these mega issues like the official plan? I'm going to reference another city because I really think uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Right. And we were very fortunate. Uh, there was a group in town, the Peterborough Dialogues, which is now the Resonance Centre, who brought a wonderful opportunity to the city, I, would it be two years ago maybe, where, help me out with the name, Sean... I, I know who you mean, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galloway. 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 Sean Galloway came to speak to citizens and, and planning staff at the city and whoever wanted to participate, local business people, it was open to the entire community to see how London crafted their official plan. And I love what they did. They worked day and night to get out into every point of their city that they could possibly do, and including the surrounding municipalities, to talk to citizens about what they thought, what they liked. And they translated all of the information, not into alphanumeric sections of a, of a plan with jargon that's very difficult to relate to as, as a citizen. They put it in lay terms. 
and they produced a book that was like a coffee table book. It was beautiful. It had pictures of things. It wasn't a, you know, a, a zoning bylaw for the number of parking spaces. It was, yeah, this is a parking lot. And if it's next to this type of commercial building, here's how many spaces you can have. It was just all laid out in, in completely understandable, relatable terms. And that came from spending time with the entire community Often, and I'm thinking of the charrette, which I'm, I have to look up that word, um, all of the candidates, and this is wonderful that the planning department has done this, have been divided, uh, invited to an official plan design charrette. It's coming up from uh, June 4th until, I believe, June 7th. But again, if you're working during the day as a candidate, you have a business or you have childcare issues, there's all sorts of barriers to participating in this type of process. So while I'm very happy to be able to juggle my schedule so that I can attend a couple of days, particularly for the nodes that impact autonomy ward, I know it's going to be challenging for people to get this involved. Well, great opportunity, but not accessible to everyone. So I think the key is, and there's the word I really like, is accessibility. Mm -hmm. So whether you're out on the weekends or you're there in the morning or, you know, you just have to look at all the demographics. So you don't get a biased view coming into our plan. Some of us are very engaged and our voices are heard maybe more often than other voices that should be heard. Mm -hmm. So finding that balance, I think Linda did a phenomenal job of doing that. Oh, thanks. Now... For candidates uh, who have been uh, involved in the political process for a while, of course, the truism is that canvassing happens at the door. I mean, this is where we meet constituents. This is where the conversations happen. And I don't diminish that. Uh, both of us uh, knocked on many doors. But um, as each election season ticks on, I'm certainly aware that there's there's a new game in town, and that, of course, is social media. So how are you using social, how will you use social media in your campaign? Because I recognize, you know, we're still in early days. That's such a fantastic question, Bill, and, and what I'm still searching for an answer for. And as a coincidence, David Boyette has put out three pieces recently on advice for candidates in the municipal campaign. I was on Facebook, which I'm rarely on, on social media last night after I read his article and I, I made a comment, David, if you would be willing, would you like to do a fourth piece and talk about how social media can be used during a campaign? Because I will admit I'm fairly new to Twitter, maybe five years at the most that I've, I've been on it. I make mistakes. I, I, <laughs> I seem to have big thumbs and it auto-corrects far too often for me. And Facebook, I haven't gained that comfort level with wanting to write a novel versus just sharing a piece of interest to the community that they might want to follow quickly. So an uneasy comfort level with social media for me at this point, but I'm certainly open and trying to use the technology well, good, for good for you. Good uh, for you. I'm doing a, a series of uh, interviews with uh, campaign managers in the, the uh, Ontario provincial election, and uh, I was fascinated to learn that uh, the NDP, uh, Sean Conway's campaign, has 
a Snapchat strategy. And I only know about Snapchat uh, through, through uh, uh, my daughters, you know, so they send me pictures of Snapchat. So I, how do you use this if you're running for office? That's fascinating. Um, now, uh, let's stay with the technology line just a bit in the... Uh, Another thing that's changing with each succeeding, uh, certainly municipal election, this hasn't come to provincial or federal yet, is uh, online voting. Now, in uh, 2014, um, in the mayoralty race, 36% of Daryl Bennett supporters voted online, whereas 44% of Miriam Monsef's supporters voted online. She did fairly well. Uh, so, now... Of course, there's some truisms around the demographic. Well, not truisms, some, some facts that uh, more of Monsef's supporters were below the age of 45. Uh, more of uh, Daryl Bennett's uh, supporters were over that age. But as a candidate, how how do you... Well, two, a two-part question. Is online voting a good thing? And if it is, how do you get people to vote more online? And will, will this increase our popular vote? Because we're still... The election you and I ran in, still only 47% of eligible voters bothered to uh, vote uh, using any modality, online or in person. I'm in favor of online voting. I think it's fantastic. Just discuss the word accessibility. And again, I can't think of a more accessible way to engage people than on their own devices, be it their phone, their iPad, their laptop, their desktop. It means people don't have to go out stand in a long line, worry about when the polls are opening or closing. It's it's so convenient. And I'm really hoping it will engage more and more people each time, pulling back to becoming voters and engaging in the democratic process. And there's that spontaneity. You just talked about Snapchat, which I know nothing about, I'll confess. So there's Websites out there for candidates, some candidates are using Facebook. So if you've just been on a candidate's page or you're cross-comparing people's Facebooks and looking at their platforms and and you can vote online, you can be in the moment, you can make a decision, you can, you know, I, I just think it's a wonderful way to get people to engage. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder in this coming, uh, well, campaign, well, once we get into the voting period, once uh, the uh, preliminary vote, the advance polls open uh, October 9th, or that's when online voting opens October 9th. Will we see teams of canvassers for the various candidates going door to door with uh, data enabled tablets and laptops saying, uh, have you voted yet? No. Well, you can vote right here, right now. But will we see that? There's a good question. It depends course on your budget whether you have the capacity to have a data enabled laptop or or ipad that sounds like a more sophisticated campaign i could see that for the maybe the mayor's race it certainly won't happen in my campaign (laughs) but i will tell you that running in 2014 there's such a steep learning curve to becoming a candidate for the first time and going through that process. So one of the wake-up calls that I had personally and advice I would give to other first-time candidates in this election is be aware of that online voting because that's a, it's not just, as they say, V-Day, Voter Day, that you have to be concerned about. Many people, and you hope many people, 
will be voting as soon as that online voting opens. I went to doors, door to door, after the online voting started in 2014, and people would say, I've already voted. And if I talked to you beforehand, perhaps I might have voted for you. So that is a lesson for me to take away and incorporate into the 2018 campaign. Sure. Now, both of us have uh, had the, uh, the, the the dubious distinction of standing, making presentations to council, standing there. I call it the firing squad, and you're looking at all those faces. The the, the audience is behind you, and we present on our various concerns and topics. And of course, as my eye travels around that U large U shaped table, I only see two women. What? What has to happen in order to have more women run and more women be at that big table? Well, again, maybe a bit of a cliche, but you do have to see her to be her. And that isn't just a gender lens, Bill. That applies to everyone from all cultures and races and religions. And again, coming back to the 407 opening up, if I was coming to a community, I would want to see my face represented, whether it's on the police force, the fire department, within staff at City Hall, or on council. So it isn't just about being a woman, it's about bringing perspectives, diversity of innovation and ideas. And whether that comes from your age, which is incredibly important, or your gender, because women function differently than men, or whether it's coming from your educational background. There's so much in diversity. And hopefully, when the electorate votes, they're getting to know the candidates, to know they have that cross-section of people representing them on council. Great. Now, let's stay at that uh, podium and looking at that large U-shaped table uh, with only two women. The other thing I always notice is that uh, predominantly... The age of the people sitting around that table is much more skewed towards my end of the age spectrum, which is to say solidly in the 70s, as opposed to younger people. So how would you encourage young people not only to vote, but to get involved? Well, right now, on a personal level, I've gone to Kenner Vocational Institute in the South End and spoke with one of the teachers there, and he has teamed me up with two young women in grade nine, and they're going to be shadowing me throughout the campaign. So they've been to a couple of events already. It just They're just incredibly capable, astute young women. And through Terry Guile, we've arranged a visit to City Hall to look at that U-shaped room. So we'll go into the gallery. Terry is a previous counselor. And we'll be going to some of the departments within City Hall as well and letting these young women speak to staff and and getting a cross-section of what does it mean? What is your municipal government? Um, Reaching out and explaining exactly how the city works to young women and going with a candidate who is female. Again, hopefully that's a mentoring process that will engage them more. Well, thank you so, so much, Kim, for doing this. As we keep reminding you, uh, the vote is, voting day is October 22nd. The online voting starts October 9th. And Kim, Simple, thank you so much for coming in. Good luck in autonomy. Thank you so much, Bill. Although we're uh, trying to refocus uh, this program 
on the municipal election campaign here in Peterborough. Last Thursday's provincial campaign is still very much with us. Uh, at least now we know the numbers. So across the province, uh, the PCs at 40.5%, the NDP had 33.6%, the Liberals were at 196 here in our own riding. It was a bit different. The, the PCs weren't quite as strong, they were 375 The NDP was about the same, 30, uh, 33.9%, and the Liberals were quite a bit stronger, 5% more, uh, 24.6%. What happened here? In our riding, of the six, 61,000 some odd votes cast, almost 23,000 or 37, uh, over 37 percent voted for the PCs. Uh, the remaining uh, just over 38,000 or 62.5 percent voted for the other three parties and, and the fringe parties, the NDP, Liberal Screens and the French. NDP supporters look at these results and shake their heads uh, with 20,745 votes or 33.9%, almost 40%. Clearly, uh, excuse me, almost 34%. Clearly, they had the best shot at beating the Conservatives. But on June 5th, the Liberals circulated a letter from Jeff Leal with this claim. One thing is absolutely clear. Here in Peterborough, Kawartha, the race is going to be tight. That's why I am writing to you. Internal numbers show our riding is a race between the Liberals and the Conservatives. Here in Peterborough, Kawartha, it's going to come down to progressives uniting behind my candidacy to defeat Doug Ford. The Liberals finished over 5,000 votes behind the NDP and close to 8,000 votes behind the Liberals. The Liberals finished a distant third, not even close. So what about these putative internal numbers? There are only three explanations. Either the polling firm which came up with these numbers was wildly incompetent, or a lot of people changed their minds in the polling booth and voted NDP anyway, or the numbers were, well, maybe fabrications. A week earlier, the Liberals also circulated a flyer with an unlabeled chart showing them at 46% compared to the Conservatives at 30% and the NDP at 18%. Apparently, these were popular vote results coming out of the 2014 election. How many NHL teams would flash last year's score on their jumbotron in the middle of a tight playoff game to reassure their fans? But never mind. This is what the devious wizards who work for campaign teams do. Politics next to hockey is the closest thing we have to a blood sport in Canada. So these tactics may have discouraged strategic voters from shifting their liberal vote to the NDP. Sean Conway lost to Dave Smith by 2,194 uh, votes. Did these liberal manipulations cause an NDP defeat? Probably not, but we'll never know. The real losers in this battle were those voters who believed in working together to create a better future, the strategic voters. In 2015, some NDP supporters voted strategically to help the liberals defeat Stephen Harper. In 2018, Ontario NDP voters asked liberals to return the favour. But this time, the shoe was on the other foot. Uh, not enough liberals decided to put it on. So is strategic voting finished as a tactic in this riding? What has to change in order for our community to elect a more progressive government? Or is that the wrong question? How does our community have to change so that our political leaders adopt collaboration, not competition, as the best way of getting things done? Our panel of Tim Etherington and Donald Fraser returns on June 26th. We'll get answered to these questions then. Next week, Pints and Politics features an interview with Councillor Gary Baldwin from Ashburnham. Until then, this is Bill Templeman.